0: so one of the wonderful things about the world of history is that there's always something new to discover there's always a battle a personality that's always new to you Uh, it's not often that i will admit to knowing uh, next to just about nothing about the history of a specific country i'm that type of arrogant person that i kind of believe i've got a smorgasbord of historical knowledge and i can just about bluff my way with the history of many countries in the world but the country of georgia is not one of them roberto toro uh, welcome uh, to intelligent speech uh, first off roberto you, you you not only i believe are of georgian extraction but you produce a podcast all about the proud country of georgia
1: so i am not georgian i am cuban-american oh wow and, um yeah but i do do a uh, Podcast on the history of Georgia
0: and yeah well that makes it even more uh, interesting then dare I say, because I put you down as one of these uh, Georgians from the Georgian diaspora uh, you know I did a, I started off a podcast about the about Jamaica because I'm a from the Jamaican diaspora. so why does a Cuban american why did a Cuban American end up doing a podcast about Georgia?
1: Well, it started off with me essentially studying abroad in Russia, as many people who learn about Georgia will first do, is they go to Russia and they learn about Georgia from there. But while there, I was introduced to the Georgian culture and the food, and that led to one thing to another, which I was basically eating there once a week, twice a week, maybe. It was right next to the school, so it was very hard to not eat Georgian food, and for cheap, too. Um... And then at that point, I went to Georgia for four days because I made a Georgian friend. They invited me over the holidays to visit their country, and at that point, I completely fell in love. And I thought it was great. Got to see so much, so much history, and so many different things around the area. Um, so I just walked around like the the capital and the old capital for four days. And so the, the capital now being Tbilisi, and the old capital being like about an hour north, Mtskheta. Um, and at that point I came back from study abroad and sat on Georgia for a few years, com- completely forgot about it, except for like desiring more Georgian food and more, wine. Uh, Georgian wine, which is fantastic. And at that point, um, COVID happened and I was starting to get into listening to podcasts and that I was expanding into different territories. I was listening to Robin Pearson's The History of Byzantium, and he started mentioning Georgia a bit too often during certain points in history. And I was like, oh wait, I want to know more about that place because I was there. I want to see what they did, How? what was their perspective. And I looked for a podcast on Georgia, nothing showed up. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to read about it because at that point I just got too lazy with reading because I can just get podcasts and get a fun narrative that way. So I, I was like, oh, someone's going to do it eventually, obviously. And a few months happened. Nobody was doing anything. And then I decided, well, I already have some books here. Might as well start using that as a entryway into actually learning about Georgia, its history, its culture. And then one thing led to another, got myself and mic, and I uh, set up and I actually basically created the history of Sacramento Georgia and it's been running for over a year now and i'm really happy with the content we're producing we just got to the 361 ad as of the last episode but we're gonna go on a deep dive about religion for a little Uh, when you christianize things tend to uh
0: hello yes oh no yeah you just disappeared for a second but you're back yeah i got i
1: got a spam call that's why um but yeah but when When Georgia Christianizes, there's just like a lot of information all at once. And then I just kind of went with the the Chronicles narrative for quite a bit just because it was very interesting. But now I'm going to do like kind of explore Orthodoxy, Zoroastrianism, And then just kind of talk about religion in general within Georgia during that time period before I move on with the
0: narrative. Well, this is kind of one of the kind of fascinating things for me about history is... Um, and specifically Georgia is where exactly is Georgia? Like we know where it is on, on the map, but is it technically actually really Europe or, or is it Asia? And and the very fact you mentioned Zoroastrianism, you know, the, the conversion to Christianity, it speaks at a, a, a deeper truth that it sits on the fault line of so many different large countries and cultures. So I'll I, I put it to you, uh, Roberto, um, who, would you say are the existential adversaries of the Georgian people? Would it be the, Byzant- the Byzantines? Would it be the Persians? The Russians? The Armenians? The Mongols? You know, who 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 would that existential <coughs> adversary be? Do you think, looking back at a whole sweep of Georgian history?
1: Everyone. Is, honestly, it's everybody because the Byzantium, the Byzantines, even though they, because the Georgians as it's the main book I use called Edge of Empires. It's literally on the edge of several empires because you have Rome for a while, you have the Persians, um, you have the Russians, you have the Mongols, and you have basically the Armenians. So basically you have this all these people kind of surrounding Georgia. And it goes back as far as like, even with like the ancient Greek civilization where they are kind of coming in, they're colonizing, and that's where you see like the earliest example of like Greeks and the Georgia, the Proto-Georgians kind of meeting is with the tail facing the Argonauts. Um, the, the the Golden Fleece is in Colchis, which is in current day Bani near Kutaisi, and on the on the west coast. And in this situation, it's basically everybody's basically has done something to Georgia either make them a client state, vassalize them, or kind of go in and take away their freedoms. But the Georgians, because being in the mountains, everything, have persevered throughout time and they're very proud of the fact that they've survived all these occupations and that they've been able to hold on to their identity throughout history.
0: Well, and that for me is truly the, the amazing thing, because not only has Georgia been able to maintain its own identity. Through its language and culture, but it still has its own scripts. You know, there aren't many countries in Europe that have their own national script.
1: Yes. And actually, uh, the Kardbeli language isn't even related to the Indo European language group, also. Um, it's its own like sub dialect that doesn't come, go back as far as the Indo Europeans. And it's very much its own. Uh, language. So it doesn't share much of other languages, except for maybe Persian, some Greek because and some Russian, because you, over time they borrow words. But overall, it's its own script, it's, its own language, and nothing really compares to it.
0: So am I, I to take it then that what you're going to do is do a-, a really kind of in-depth sweep of Georgian history up to the modern day? Is that the plan? Yes. Yeah,
1: That is the plan. I teeter-totter on ending right before the Russian invasion, but sometimes I want to cover it, sometimes I don't, but I have a long time before I get there. Um, so the plan is just get as close as possible, and then I'll decide once I'm there, because I'm not really big on modern-day politics, but at the same time, it's a story that needs to be told about a great country that no one really knows about.
0: Hmm. Let, let, let's, talk, let's talk about Georgia post the Russian invasion. So that Russian invasion... Is at the start of the 19th century. That's when it gets, uh, the Georgian kingdom gets subsumed into the Russian Empire. What does that period do when Georgia is part of, A, the Russian Empire, then yes, it's briefly independent after the First World War, uh, and then it becomes part of the Soviet Union? What does that do to Georgian nationalism and to a sense of Georgian identity in that period?
1: It honestly increases it because you have this sense of once because they know they were their own entity. And then since they basically fought against Russification attempts over a period of 200 years, you know, through the empire, through the Soviet Union, they very much we are Georgians. This is who we are. We're not changing anything. But and they also want to move away from seeing um from seeming Russian, because a lot of times you come into the questions like, oh, is this you know U.S. Georgia or is this Russian Georgia? And that is like the one question they hate hearing because they're like, no, we're not Russian. We are Georgian. We are our own people. We were here before the Russians or be here after the Russians. And it's very much the they hold on to themselves. They're proud of who they are and they don't want to change that at all. As I kind of
0: Alluded to at the start, um, Roberto. Um, I don't know an awful lot about the history uh, of, of Georgia. I know that it has this proud medieval uh, period, where maybe the the kingdom's said its zenith. I know that uh, it's just fought just about everybody through like two thousand years worth of history. But the one thing I was kind of really marked on when I was doing my research early today is just some of the great names of some of the kings uh, of of Georgia, and not all of the kings of Georgia have even been male. So tell us a little bit, tell us something about Tamar the Great, who's a queen of Georgia in the 12th and 13th century, uh, who was given the title of of, of king. Um, Why was she great, and why was she called a king and not a queen of Georgia? So,
1: etymologically, that is technically incorrect, because uh, the Georgian language does not have gender, so when when you look at the Georgian word mepe, it just means ruler. So she's just the ruler of Georgia. She's not a king or queen. So basically, it would just be if you call you know Queen Elizabeth II, she's queen regnant. So Tamar the Great would just be the queen regnant of Georgia. So the the title of queen would still translate over to queen, but because of people are seeing it and like trying to transfer the pronouns, that the gender that doesn't exist in the Georgian language
0: to You're, the title. You need, i tell you what you need to do, Roberto. You need to go onto Wikipedia and correct that entry then, because I'm reading this straight from Wikipedia. <laughs> so there you go. Um, don't believe everything you read when you do a quick Google on, on Wikipedia. But tell us about her reign, um, because she's she called the great for a reason. So um, why did she earn that title?
1: Well, she basically ruled over the period of George's golden age, and she essentially made all these connections to stabilize the empire. She, the national poet, Shota Rustavelli, was under her purview. So he created the national epic, the knight in panther skin, um, which is basically alludes to her because the guy was in love with the woman. And essentially, and at that point, with under her reign she fought off multiple peoples and the golden age goes back as far as to her grandfather who fought off the southern turks and she basically came at the apex of georgian might in the Caucasus, and he ruled georgia out of zenith so basically having all all this land under her this is when georgia was the most powerful (laughs) nation in the Caucasus, and they were able to stand up but then after her death everything crashed down because the mongols came so it's seen that the great that she was very much very saintly. She's actually a saint now. So she's Saint Tamar the Great. Um, and with that, she very religious woman, she would always be on the battlefield. So she wasn't just one of those sit in the castle and pray. She would go to she would be praying on the battlefield. She would always try to pick the best people for the job and just kind of work her way towards making Georgia a better nation
0: under her um, domain so we have uh tamar the great who was this uh, fearsome uh, independent female ruler of georgia but um as i kind of said before yeah, like some of the titles of, of the kings and, and the rulers of, of georgia are great uh, we have george the brilliant uh, anybody's called the brilliant has got to be an interesting character so uh, and, and you've kind of mentioned that the Mongols come and they're going to, I think they come twice. You know, you have Timur's invasions and we have Subutai beforehand, but tell us about King George the Brilliant who restores the kingdom of Georgia for a brief period.
1: Oh boy, you caught me on
0: someone who I don't know much about. Um, because
1: I try to like not spoiler history for myself. So I haven't been too far, but um, George V, or George the the Brilliant. He was basically helped Georgia recover from the Mongol domination and with that kind of helped with the kind of help with the restoration of Christianity and everything after that. Basically brutal occupation. And then he worked very with his connections, he worked very much to promote the basically Christianity within Georgia and outside of Georgia. So he actually has a lot of different things within um Jerusalem he was also related to um the Byzantine court so he was basically of very noble blood and there's just more i don't know more about at this point
0: no worries um just a quick reset of the room uh, this is uh, m- one of my very in frequent intelligent speech rooms, I should do them much more often. Uh, When I kind of do an intelligent speech room, invariably, not always, but invariably, it's about uh, philosophy or, more likely, history. And I do these deep dives with somebody who's a little bit of an expert about a country or a culture of which I don't know an awful lot. And I just have a little bit of a conversation. If you're in the audience, and it's so nice to see uh, so many of you here, considering I only put uh, this room up literally 20 minutes, uh, scheduled it 20 minutes before actually going live with it. So it's really good to see, to, to see friends in the audience. If you'd like to come up and ask Roberto a question, about georgia its history and its oh, culture feel free um because we only have him for about the next 20 minutes uh, this the, the the transcript of this will actually make it into an article for podcast magazine every month i do an article about uh, a great podcast around the topic of history and uh, roberto's podcast definitely qualifies as one of those so feel free I just go, see some go on
1: I do, I do see some Georgian names in the audience right now.
0: Well, they should most definitely come up. <laughs> uh, um, let's let's go all the way. I know you said you're not great on on modern history, uh, but but there are there's two things I want to touch upon. Obviously, the the, the geography of Georgia is incredibly important. Um, if you know, two thousand years ago, if you're going to put your money on this kingdom surviving off and on for two thousand years, considering it's going to be conquered by the Russians, conquered by the Mongols, it's going to have numerous wars against the Persians, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have put your money on it. But it, but it has survived, and I think one of the reasons why it did survive is because of of Christianity. That's kind of really infused um, a sense of nationalism and culture, and you definitely get that sense when they go up against uh, Subutai and, and the Mongols in, in, in the medieval period that uh, Georgia sees itself as a bastion uh, of Christianity um, against uh, the infidel. And then you look at the flag of Georgia now and it looks like, and and it's re- re- resplendent with the Christian cross. Um, am I overstating things or am I understating things, how important has Christianity been to um, maintain and foster Georgia ever since the Georgians converted um, after the reign of Constantine?
1: Um, It's been very important, actually, because the reason why they were occupied by the Russians in the first place was because it was either they were in very dire straits in the late 1700s. And it was either you know ally yourself, the Christian nation directed to your north or be consumed by the islamic nations to your south and at that point you know they decided to go with the christian nation which is who then took him over 20 years afterwards in 1801 under paul the great uh paul the first straight of russia and but throughout history like they have they have had their own church or their second christian nation in the world so after armenia it was georgia um and they you know they have Legend saying that they have Christ's tunic buried in Mitisieta. So like, which is a very holy relic that they're very proud to own. And at that point, it's very much, so Christianity has been very big in the region. They're covered in monasteries, churches and everything. And they're very proud of the fact that, you know, hey, we've been Christian even since before Rome officially became Christian.
0: Last question from me. And then we're gonna throw this out to anybody that wants to ask uh, Roberto a a question. 1991, we had the collapse of the Soviet Union. And um, I remember watching it on on TV and the focus was very much on um, the Baltics and then Ukraine and to a lesser degree, uh, Belarus, because um, initially Uh, The Russian Federation and Belarus and Ukraine form the Commonwealth of Independent States. We kind of forgot in the West uh, that there were these small republics in the Caucasus Mountains or just past them, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, let alone the Stans. Can you give us some sense of what a newly independent Georgia even felt like for the Georgian people?
1: Um, well, they quickly descended into civil war um, because you had the basically what what the Soviet Union did was basically try to foster differences between the peoples, especially within like Abkhazia and the and the Sinkali region of Georgia, which is which is commonly known to westerners as South Ossetia. Um, essentially, you have these groups fighting; there was civil war, but they're very once they worked to kind of got their act together they were very excited to just be you know finally be a republic be able to choose their own leaders promote their own culture and now they're currently working towards looking towards europe and they're in attempts to join the european union as of right now um the president is currently traveling throughout she was in italy not too long ago now she's, she's in brussels today i've been keeping track of that whole situation but since like 1991 they've been trying to kind of become more of a democracy and move away from the like russian the russianness that they've been held over for the last 200 years
0: and and how much does the occupation of south ossetia and abkhazia play with um internal georgian politics is this um a burning call celebra for georgia for modern georgians and their politicians to recover these territories or is this just seen as something that happened but georgia just gets on and does its thing
1: Uh, can you repeat the question
0: one more time please sorry is the uh, kind of russian backed um invasion of Abkhazia and the fact that Abkhazia is this notionally independent republic but of course it's propped up by the Russian Federation and Ditto South Ossetia. Are these burning issues in terms of contemporary Georgian politics that Georgians and Georgian politicians want to recover these territories or are they seen as somewhat of a relic from the uh, the initial um, fall, well, it's not the initial fall of the Soviet Union because it's 2008, but are they seen as something which Georgia as an independent state can deal with and it can negotiate and navigate around?
1: So the current, so from what I can tell is they're trying to do things diplomatically because as soon as uh, Russia invaded Ukraine this past March or February, there were a lot of calls for the Georgians to use this distraction that Russians have to go into the region. But it looks like the politicians want to deal with it diplomatically at the moment because they don't want to cause any further bloodshed because they do still have the memories of 1992 during the Civil War. And that's more bloodshed. They don't want to lose any more Georgians. So they're trying to do it diplomatically. But it also comes into accordance that since they're Russian backed, they have the, all that jurisdiction. But Georgians we right, believe that like, you hear it all the time from Georgians is that 20% of Georgia is occupied by Russia. And especially in the Sinclair. Uh, Sinkovali region where South Ossetia, they're currently trying to. You can see the Russians keep moving the border more and more every so often, so they're trying to deal with that whole thing. So, it's it's very much a a nightmare situation for them, but they want to do it peacefully, not have more war on Russia's ter on Georgia's territory.
0: This is the time, Miriam, Ben, Kim. Or anybody that's in the audience uh, to unmute yourself or raise your hand and ask a question. We've only got about ten more minutes of Roberto, so if you've got a question about the proud, independent nation of Georgia, well, now is the time to to answer it. To ask it. Sorry, uh, Miriam, you unmute. Yes, thank you so much. So I was actually very curious about the Zoroastrian elements of. This is actually part of the world, I think, from everything I read and saw is like one of the kernels of civilization. It's Asia, between Asia and, and
2: uh, in Europe. So this is very interesting to me and I'm being, trying to understand. Is any elements in culture maintained and can we learn a little bit more about Zoroastrian religion from culture of Georgia?
1: Um not from not from the cultures because christianity has very much stamped that out from the whole region so once it became christian they very much moved to destroy that from the from what they have we can still find zoroastrian fire temples in tbilisi such well they're historic ones we can still find them there at least just the one and but you can still see it throughout history. even the first king of um the first christian king was a zoroastrian as well, because he was from a Sassanid Persian. Um, he was a, the, the illegitimate son of a Sassanid Persian um, king, Bahram II. So they have that influence. But because Christianity in the old and, in antiquity was very, very much smashed down on different religions when they converted, um, we, we don't see much of the influence there. We can still see it in old architecture and ancient ar- architecture.
0: Excellent question, uh, Miriam. Kim, you also unmuted. You're up next.
2: I did, Rutho. Did you see the questions in the chat?
0: I, I didn't. I didn't.
2: There are two questions from Boltzmann Slavik. Um, the first one, does Georgia retain its Turkic influence slash heritage? If so, where are they largely pronounced?
1: Um, Georgia doesn't really have a Turkic influence because they're not Turkish. They're... Kartveli,
2: So Turkic. they don't really have that. Turkic, T-U-R-K-I-C.
1: Yeah, yeah, Turkic, yeah. Um, so they don't really have a Turkic influence because they're Karpveli they were in the area since the Proto-Iberians were there. So they're very much their own culture groups. they not Turkic in, in general, but you do have like influence from like near the Southern, the Southern bit, like where the last people are. And um, with the border of Turkey, um, they don't really have, they have some influence because of the Ottoman rule, but there's not much there because, it's because the Ottoman rule was very much an Islamic sense of rule. They don't really have that influence because they try to stay away from that as much as possible. And with periods of, of occupation, they very much worked hard to remove to keep them to themselves especially when you're in the mountain ranges it's very hard to like actually stamp out resistances as well
2: he asked um he said ottoman i meant does georgia retain its ottoman influence slash heritage and if so whatever, uh, largely pronounced sorry
1: yeah no the, the, if it's ottoman not really because the russians came in and made sure that that was gone as well
2: the second question what do Georgians think about Joseph Stalin having been from their very own kind?
1: They do not like him. Um, he, at this point, he is merely a tourist attraction, in one town, and maybe for tur- uh, tourists who want Joseph Stalin souvenirs. But they predominantly do not like uh, Joseph Stalin, and they're like, yes, we know Joseph Stalin's from here, but we're not like him. Um, so they do not like. Joseph
0: Southmiddle. Thank you uh, for reading out those questions, Kim. Uh, Mehran,
2: uh,
0: you're up next, sir.
2: Okay, hi, thank you. Um, actually, you know, looking back at, at the whole caucus area, you know, you know, what happened was there was a lot of mixed people, as you can see, even in Georgia. You have the Ossetians that are divided between Russia and Georgia, you have the Abkhazians. And even like between Armenia and Azerbaijan, these people were living in a mixed area. Basically Stalin, as he tried to create all these nationalities, created all these small republics and just uh, forced separation into nation where these people were really mixed. There are maps of like 1885 when the Russians did some sort of a census in the area and you can see, they're just like a mosaic of all different nationalities all over the Caucasus. This this area was Armenian, this area was they were very mixed kind of different people there, and it was create they kind of created these uh, nations out of Caucasus for whatever reason at the time the Soviet mentality was. But uh, what it resulted, no, I mean, what maybe I, what I'm trying to say is. If these people had formed a a strong federation from the beginning, we wouldn't have seen a lot of these massacres or this conflict that has been created amongst some of the people inside the Caucasus because it had been so much intermixing between the people and they were living in different parts, different groups. Probably a better solution would have been some form of a confederation of the Caucasus uh, people rather than trying to create these individual nations i mean that's me looking from outside i am sure you probably have a different opinion be more nationalistic about it but i'm just talking about practical practical sense of not to create this hatred that exists between armenians and azerbaijanis today i mean what do you think about it i'll stop here thank you
1: um so just because currently in my podcast i'm currently still in the fourth century um but what i can tell is it's very much they've been divided be, throughout history because you had the caucasian albanians and what is now azerbaijan you had the Ar- the armenians to the south and you have georgia where it is located today but even within georgia you have many different groups such as the Laz, the Svans, the Assetians. so it's very much the the, the Mingrelians. so there's a lot of different sub-regions with different groups of people but they and especially like looking back with the, the Soviets, because it's very much what an empire does is they grab a group of people and they just chuck them together and hope for the best, just to make um, kind of bureaucracy flow a bit better. But as you can see, like, even though the Armenians and the Jordans like to argue very much, they're still united with uh, with Christianity. Um, they compare that with Azerbaijan, which is a bit, which is more Muslim. So they have the divide with religion and everything. So it would have been different. So I, if even if they kind of held together. Um, right after the dissolution of the Russian Empire, it would be very difficult to have seen that happen once you had an, an era more of nationalism because people tend to go towards their groups. And especially within, like, you have in the Abkhazia region of Georgia, they consider themselves their own group set of people, even though that was kind of very much Russian-supported as well. Um, and then especially, but there's, a, there's always been intermixing because even the, the Georgian royal family, the back migrations, intermarrying with the Assadians and different groups of people. So you have a lot of that mixing in general. So it's not like a big issue with, within Georgia itself. But when it can, once you kind of leave the area of what is Georgia it tends to differentiate a bit more. I think I have time for one more question.
0: Yeah. And, and just, just to quickly jump in, Moran, um, the first Soviet Socialist Republic Was actually trans-Caucasian, it actually was a a federation uh, of which you speak, if you look back at the the founding of the the Soviet Union in 1922-23. Vanska, um, you have the honour of asking Roberto uh, the last question, and I know for a fact you are in Georgia right now.
2: Thank you, yes I am. I came up to say thank you to Roberto for knowing so much about Georgia and sharing it. It was nice listening in and uh, hearing the um, take on uh, uh, on the history of Georgia from the perspective of uh, the non-Georgian. So, thank you, Roberto, very much. Oh, did you <laughs>
1: of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just very quickly, very last question then, um, tell us about the podcast, um, how exactly do you go about sourcing, uh, get, getting your information, how long does it take you to produce an episode and then we can wave you goodbye because now you've got an important interview to do on the hour.
1: Yes. Um, so basically, I usually use the Cartlis uh, the Hoveva or the Life of Kartli, which is the Georgian Chronicles, and I go through that to kind of get a more of a narrative focus. And then I supplement that with information from secondary books on Georgian history. And I also go a lot in academia um, and JSTOR, kind of look for articles to help supplement with that. But um, I usually try to go with um, looking at the different kings and the reigns and how much information we can get out of the the Georgian Chronicles, because that is usually what's going to tell us more of what they did on a day-to-day basis. But... but usually it takes, it depends on the episode because this last group of episodes about King Miriam Third or St. King Miriam um, took me, I took all the notes in about a weekend, but writing it took a lot longer because I had to form the narrative from the Chronicles and there's a lot of stuff that goes into there. And since it involves St. Nino, the, the Enlightener of Georgia, there was a lot of extra stuff I had to add on there. So from the Chronicles, there were about 60 pages worth of content But when I look at other kings, there might be one paragraph. So it really depends on what's going on. And then if I have to supplement with stuff that's going on around the world, I do that as well. But usually I try to remain within the purview of Georgia. But so, like, I usually do it in, in about a week, but I get lazy with writing. So it takes the full two weeks.
0: Well, I've got some good news for you, Roberto. You've got 19 new subscribers to your podcast. Uh, that's 19 people in the audience listening to you uh, and have been utterly enthralled by uh, at least dipping their toe into uh, the great ocean, the great kind of 2,000-plus-year history of the of the proud nation of Georgia. So, so thank you for joining us on Intelligent Speech. Of course, I'm glad to be here. No worries, man. Uh, everyone you know what this is really really um made me feel somewhat um surprised but elated because um roberto will know we only contacted each other a few hours ago and i said uh, i need to do an article for the magazine would you um and i, and I put this out on, on a facebook forum and roberto answered and to see you know a small but decent crowd of people in with only 20 minutes notice, uh, fills me with um, a whole lot of optimism a- a- about this app. And I think what I'm going to try and do once a week is to try and do a history on. Um, we'll do, I'll do it in, on intelligent speech and speak to an expert, someone who's studying the history of a, of a specific country and, and and bring that to the audience. You know, there are so many countries which are just kind of forgotten, neglected, ignored, brushed over and i for one i said it a few times when i was speaking to roberto um i don't know an awful lot about the history of georgia and so it's just fascinating to to delve into these countries and just have somebody just you know tell us um the reasons why uh this country has has you know the proud history that it does and uh georgia as i said in one of my questions you know if you'd uh put your money on it 2,000 years ago and said, will this country still be around 2,000 years later? You'd have said, absolutely not. You know, it bordered the Russian Empire, the Roman Empire has been conquered by the by the Mongols. It's bordered the Persian Empire. But here we are today, 2022. And it's a proud nation of over 3 million people with its own distinct language culture and flag so and the very fact that i could get so many of you to be interested to listen to uh, roberto and, and myself talk about that uh fills me with great joy so we're going to try and do something like this once a week so thank you uh roberto for joining us thank you miriam ben kim moran Vanska, uh Tierney in the audience max dr mohar great to see you sir michaela rick um Boltsama, Katie, and for the people further down, Kane, Ryan, Michael, good to see you again, Michael, Preston, and and Shanzi. Uh, We'll do this uh, again uh, soon. Uh, We'll delve into the history of uh, another proud nation. Thanks for joining us on Intelligent Speech. Take care, everyone. Have a great day, evening, morning, wherever you are.